Hi, I'm Dan Primack, and welcome to Axios Recap, presented by Bridge Bank. Be safe, venture wisely. Today's Tuesday, September 1st. Zoom stock is way up, McDonald's stock is way down, and we're focused on Silicon Valley's contact tracing fail. Earlier today, Apple and Google announced plans to expand their coronavirus warning software, allowing states to participate without building customized apps. Now, if you've got an iPhone or Android device and wonder what coronavirus warning software, you're not alone. The companies first announced their plans back in April, but then hit speed bump after speed bump, many of which were of their own making. Here was the hope. I would have this app on my phone. If I were to get diagnosed with COVID-19, I would type that into the app, and then the app would use geo-tracking software to warn everyone with whom I'd been near over the past couple weeks. Not just people I know, but also the stranger at the coffee shop who happened to be standing nearby. That never really happened. For starters, state health agencies were required to each build their own apps, and when they wanted special permission to do things like constantly ping user locations, they were denied by Apple and Google. And users were required to download these apps, not just opt in, but actively download them, which led to low adoption, even among the six states that participated. All of which leads to today's announcement, which obviously comes very late in the pandemic, but perhaps could still slowly help us more safely reopen schools and workplaces. We'll go deeper in 15 seconds with Reed Albergati, a Washington Post tech reporter who's been following the story. But first, this. We're joined now by Reed Albergati, a tech reporter for The Washington Post. So, Reed, this original project was announced in April, launched about a month later. We're now in September. Why didn't the rollout work the way we kind of all thought it was supposed to work? Coronavirus, unlike other public health disease outbreaks in the past, is too widespread. It's just there are too many cases. There's not enough resources in the public health departments around the world to actually do contact tracing. So they wanted to use technology to help make it more efficient. And the problem they ran into is that there are all these limitations on what apps can do and can't do in the app store. And I wrote a story back in May about how they were going to Apple. The problem is mainly with Apple and saying, would you please give us some special permission so that we can do more than we would normally be allowed? Can you give me an example? Like what was something that the Apple app store didn't allow that they wanted? Well, so in order for the Bluetooth connections to work, your Bluetooth has to be constantly pinging in the background. And you can't do that with an app. You can ping every once in a while, but not all the time. That only Apple is able to allow the Bluetooth antenna to wake up that often. You saw cases like in Singapore where they were actually asking citizens to open up this contact tracing app and leave it open in the foreground every time they go outside. And obviously, that's just never going to happen. It didn't work. But what Apple and Google did was they got together and they said, we're not going to let you have special permission for these apps to work for privacy reasons, for battery life, but we'll create our own exposure notification software. Initially, they called it contact tracing software, and then they changed the name to exposure notification. And the reason is it's not really contact tracing software. Public health officials don't get that much information from this, not enough to allow them to do actual contact tracing. What it does is, you know, if you download one of these apps, 
you know, if you spend a certain amount of time with somebody, it's about 15 minutes and you're really close to them, and that person later tests positive for coronavirus, they can enter in a unique number into their phone and anyone they've been in contact with for that period of time will get a notification that, you know, hey, you may want to go in and get tested for uh, coronavirus. So let's dig into this a little bit. For starters, okay, so say I tested positive for coronavirus and say you and I uh, had gotten together a week ago. I have the app. You don't. Are you going to get a notification? No, I'm not. I would also have to be enrolled. And that's part of the problem. There hasn't been enough adoption of this for us to know whether it's really having an impact. If I am browsing the internet, I get ads for Apple and for iPhones or Google, certainly, you know, for Chromebooks and for smart speakers, etc. Am I wrong in saying it doesn't appear that Apple and Google have done almost anything to highlight or to get the word out that these apps not only exist, but that people should put them on their phones? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I can't really speak to the marketing goals here for Apple and Google and why they aren't pushing it more than they are. But I will say that one of the chief concerns here for these companies is privacy and more specifically, the perception of privacy violations. If you just sort of look on Twitter, there's a lot of misinformation. People don't understand how this works and they find it, you know, slightly creepy, even though what Apple and Google are doing is by definition much less privacy invasive than what public health officials wanted to do. And that maybe that makes it less effective, but it certainly doesn't violate your privacy as much. But I think this is an area where these companies are treading very carefully. That's one term. Treading very carefully is another way to say it. This is where these companies have failed. You think of everything that's kind of happened since COVID started. Companies like Apple and Google had a real ability to help public health officials here. And it seems that for either because of their internal policies or maybe, as you say, just PR with privacy, they weren't willing to do what candidly the public health required. Sure. I mean, I've certainly heard people say that, make that argument. Another angle to sort of look at this is these two huge companies control pretty much 100% of cell phones around the world. And they control those with tight grip, right? You can't really install software very easily outside of their app stores and you have to go by their rules. So what's happening is because these phones are so ubiquitous, everyone has them. It's how people communicate. They carry them around everywhere. They also can be very valuable for public health officials. And so you have this dynamic where two companies are actually dictating de facto public health policy. And part of that is sort of a vacuum left by the federal government here, which hasn't really led on this. This is still an opt-in or an app I need to download. I don't get a push notification asking me to download it. I don't have an iOS update that automatically installs it. And Apple is not afraid to automatically install certain apps on my phone. It does that. It's not in this case. Why not? They're not going to enroll you automatically in this. How about send me some sort of alert asking me to? So the announcement today, it appears that that is actually what's going to happen. If you're in a state that participates in this exposure notification program now, you actually will get an alert. And before the announcement today, what states had to do was build a standalone app that you would download in the app store. And that was a problem, right? That takes a lot of resources for states. And I think there were only six states that actually had done that so far. And part of that was that there's not much of an incentive for a state to devote the resources here because they don't get, as I said before, very much data back from the exposure notification software. So today, Apple and Google announced that they won't actually have to build a standalone app that you download. 
it's more like changing the settings on your phone. But the states will still have to enroll. They'll still have to participate. So right now, not everyone can use this, but they've said about 26 states total are in the process or have already created it. Reid Abogadi of The Washington Post, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome back. What we're watching is New York City, the nation's largest school district, where it seems a threatened teacher strike has been averted for students who choose blended or hybrid learning. Under terms of an agreement announced today, the start to the school year for those students will be delayed from September 10th to September 21st, and both students and staff now will be part of mandatory monthly testing for COVID-19. What we're also watching is how gig economy companies plan to deal with a possible Biden presidency. Given that the former Veep and his running mate Kamala Harris both support a California law that would categorize gig economy workers as employees, not independent contractors. It's a question I asked DoorDash CEO Tony Hsu for Axios on HBO in an interview that first aired last night. What we believe is that, you know, what workers want is a nonpartisan issue. It's a fundamental right to be able to work whenever you want, wherever you want. Finally, we asked you for some good news, and listener John Kelly wrote in to tell us about Mink the Bear, who he refers to as a local celebrity around Lebanon, New Hampshire, and who gave birth to three cubs back in January. Now, the bad news here is that Mink was unfortunately found dead recently, and hold on a minute, the good news is coming, because Mink's death set off a massive search for the cubs. Residents, firefighters, police, everyone. Then, just over this past weekend, the cubs were spotted, repeatedly alive, and seemingly in good condition. Local officials now hope to capture the Cubs to keep them safe for the winter. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Naomi Shaven, have a great National Chicken Boy Day. Google it. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Axios Recap.